0: Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. and This is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. Woo! Ready to have charts! Ha. We are in the middle of a series called Social Solutions. It's week six. And I still can't say it right. I get it all. But anyway, that's, that's the title of the series, Been Reality. We are walking through the Old Testament book. Of Nehemiah. And if you're new to Hillspring, you're jumping right in the middle, and that's okay. You can get caught up. You can download our podcast on all the podcast platforms. We have a YouTube channel. You can go get past sermons there. We have it on our website and our archives. So if you want to, like, you feel like you're trying to catch up in a marathon, it's okay. You can, you can go download all that stuff. It's a guy by the name of Nehemiah, and he was a descendant of Abraham because Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had (laughs) fallen. He was a Jew that was actually serving the Persian king Artaxerxes. And the Persians were the world superpower of the time. And the Babylonians had conquered this big mass kingdom. And then the Persians came in and took them over. The difference is when the Babylonians conquered you, they relocated you. The Persians came in and said, okay, you guys can go home. You can go back to your homelands. And Nehemiah was a close advisor. He's actually the, the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes. And he gets this news that the principal city of Jerusalem is still lying in ruins. His brother comes to see him. And that's how the story begins in Nehemiah chapter 1. When well, Nehemiah's brother come in to see him, and Nehemiah's excited. He, he knows that people have been able to move home He knows that things are starting to happen again back in Jerusalem. He's like, how's it going? His brother says, it's not good. And the opening chapters of the book of Nehemiah are just the grief and the struggle that Nehemiah has for his people. And he uses his influence. He uses his leadership. He uses his opportunity with the king to get some help for his people. And the king says, Nehemiah, take whatever you need, whatever you need to go do this. And actually, the king trusts him so much, he said, by the way, why don't you just be the governor of Judah while you're there? So the king actually elevates him, gives him promotion, and he lets him govern over that region. So the book of Nehemiah is about rebuilding from ruins. 2020, sometimes it feels like we're rebuilding, we're reengaging. We'll take two steps forward only to take a step back. And as our culture begins to reopen and reengage from this whole COVID pandemic, I think we can learn a lot from Nehemiah's playbook. Nehemiah faced economic issues, and so do we. Nehemiah faced critics. Every decision he made was wrong to someone. Nehemiah dealt with social injustice, but God used him to step up and take command in a time of chaos. And God used him to bring direction in a time of disorder. Every chapter of Nehemiah brings a new challenge. Every day, it was almost a different problem. And God used Nehemiah to bring social solutions to a time of suffering. Today, we're gonna land in Nehemiah chapter five. If you got your Bible, you can open up. If you wanna turn it on or whatever, don't worry. We'll put it up on the screen as well. Nehemiah chapter five, verse one, and it says, about this time. Let me pause for just a second. Because he's referring to what was going on in Nehemiah chapter 4, which we talked about last week. Critics were doing what critics do. And so there were people who were not Jewish that were living there in Jerusalem that were kind of mocking them. They were really trying to disrupt the work that was going on. But that all got so heavy that there were actually Jewish people who were help working on the wall. And they kind of let it turn them toxic as well. And they start complaining too. This is dumb. We'll never be able to get all this done. It doesn't say this in scripture, but I'm sure there was one among them. I'm just a realist. I'm just going to let that go right there. You know what I'm saying? So, yesterday, Nehemiah is dealing with critics. Today, he has a whole new problem. So, at the same time, like about the same, like yesterday it was this, today it's something new. Some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, We have such large families and we need more food to survive. Others said we've mortgaged our fields, our vineyards, and homes to get food during this famine. Verse 4, and others said. So like they just keep coming. This group says this. This group has this issue. This group has this issue. And we had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards just to pay taxes. We belong to the same family of those who are wealthy and our children are just like theirs. Yet we must sell our children into slavery. Hit pause for just a second. Do that math. They had to sell their own children into slavery just to feed the rest of the family. We've already sold some of our daughters and we are helpless to do anything about it. Our fields and our vineyards are already mortgaged to others. It was a dire situation. Plain, pure, and simple social injustice. And Let me be clear. However barbaric the culture and whatever issues our nation has had down through its existence... I believe the founding fathers of this great nation made their best attempt, and I believe they got it right, that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men and women and races and color are equal in the sight of God. Down through history, anyone that would ever try to use Scripture to make the case that one race would be superior to another or they would use the Bible to suggest that one race of people can be a slave to another, clearly do not understand the freeing nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The world should be better because of the church. The city we live in should be better because of the church. Our neighbors should be better because of the church. And so Listen, it is so easy to say, man, I wish they would do something about that. I wish they would fix the problem. My friends, we are they. Before you say someone should, you should ask yourself, how can I? Nehemiah verse 6 said, when I heard their complaints, I was very angry. After thinking it over, I spoke out against those nobles and officials. He's risking a lot here. But there are times in our life that you and I must stand... And be counted for what's right. The following verse describes Nehemiah calling the leaders into account. Nehemiah getting people to act against the injustice that was in their day. And in this chapter, and as it ends, he's not being arrogant. He's not bragging. He's simply setting an example. Nehemiah's not bragging on, hey, look at me. Look at what I did. He's setting an example on how they should live. So I'm going to jump to verse 14. For the entire 12 years that I was the governor of Judah, from the 12th year to the 32nd year of the reign of King Artaxerxes, neither I nor my officials on our, uh, drew on our official food allowance. The former, the former governors, however, in contrast, they laid heavy burdens on the people, demanding a daily ration of food and wine. On top of that, they charged them 40 pieces of silver, Even their assistants took advantage of people, but because I feared God, I didn't want to act that way. Verse 16, I also devoted myself to working on the wall. I'm the governor. I'm dealing with complaints. I got all this going on. But even I made time to roll up my sleeves and get my hands dirty and do this tough stuff and work on the wall, and I refused to require any land. And I required all of my servants to spend time working on the wall. I asked for nothing even though I regularly fed 150 Jewish officials at my table. What he's saying there, we go to a restaurant and eat, and there's a party of 150, please. And he's like, it all goes on one check, and I get the check. And then all the visitors from the other lands. The provisions I paid for each day included one ox, six choice sheep or goats, and a large number of poultry. And every 10 days, we needed a large supply of wine. It's a little awkward, just saying. I refuse to claim the governor's food allowance because the people already carried a heavy burden. Verse 19. This this, this verse feels a little weird. We're going to unpack it. Remember, oh my God. Remember, Lord, all that I've done for these people. And Lord, I'm asking your favor. Would you bless me for it? This morning I want to talk about a principle that will change you and God will use to change your world. If you're taking notes today, here's the first thing I want to show you. You can write this down. Success requires sacrifice. See, I believe the North American dream has kind of sold us a little bit of a lie. That I have the right to guaranteed success. The truth is you have the right to try You live in a land of opportunity, but this idea, I don't have to invest anything to be successful. I don't have to show up in order to speak up. Unfortunately, success does not work that way. If you want people to listen when you speak, if you want to be a person of influence, if you want to have success, when you talk, you want people to lean in and not roll their eyes. We say shut up, you know, you have to be willing to pay the price of success. Success depends upon you being willing to get out of bed. And all the parents said amen. Success depends upon you learning how to treat people. Success depends upon you having integrity and character and being willing to do the right thing even when no one is looking. Nehemiah is not bragging here. He's setting an example. If we are going to rebuild, if we are going to have success, sometimes you have to reboot to rebuild. Sometimes you have to do things differently. And when you read the top part of this chapter in Nehemiah chapter 5, it's a story of, I'm in this for me. I'm going to get me in mind. I'm going to take advantage of my neighbor. I'm going to take advantage of my countrymen. I'm going to take advantage of poor people just so that I can get, get ahead. Like, I'm just out for me, no matter who it hurts. And Nehemiah is saying, listen, that might might fill your pockets, but that will not fix the social problems. Nehemiah chapter 5, he is offering a social solution, and that says success requires sacrifice. Let me put it back up on the screen, verse 17. I asked for nothing. I didn't take any. I'm not here to take. I'm here to give. Even though I regularly fed 150 Jewish officials at my table. I took the check, all on one check. I took it. Besides, there were visitors that came. I paid for that too. Verse 18, the provisions I paid for each day include an ox, six choice sheep or goats, a large number of poultry, and every 10 days we need a large amount of all kinds of wine. What are they doing every 10 days that you need? I don't know, right? Yet I refuse to claim the governor's food allowances because the people already carried such a heavy burden. Nehemiah said, I'm going to carry my own weight. I'm not going to ask you to do it for me. I'm going to carry my own weight. And then, matter of fact, I'm going to go the extra mile. Are you the extra mile kind of person? Are you the person that's willing to roll up your sleeve and do the extra? Nehemiah said, I'm going to pay the price to help solve the problem, which I think leads to a very powerful, yet this is a hard life principle. Unfortunately, in church, this gets tense. And the second thing i write this down. Growth requires giving. Giving is just a part of the maturation process. It's just a part of maturing and growing up. Someone has to give so someone else can grow. Think about the base root of human development. A parent has to give food. A parent has to give care. To their baby, to their children, so that they can grow. A teacher has to give effort, has to give attention, has to give knowledge to the students so they can grow in knowledge. A coach has to give time and instruction to athletes so they can grow in their abilities. A mentor has to give care and investment to a mentee so that they can grow. Growing, giving is a part of the growth process. Someone has given so I can grow. Someone has given so you can grow. The problem is if you stop the flow of giving, you stop the process of growing. Let me say that again. If I stop the flow of giving, I stop the process of growing. Someone had to give to me to help me grow. And now I have to give to help grow. So this this, um, mason jar here, supersized, um, represents me. And so my mom, my dad, my friends, my mentors, my teachers, my coaches, my all that, that helped get me there where I was. And There's people still pouring in and investing into me. And so there's people giving so that I can grow. And there comes a point in time in this mason jar where I can't take any more. I'm just lipping full. If I... And you know what happens to water if you let that sit there for about 10, 12 days? It's going to start to get fuzzy things in it. It's going to start to grow things and it's going to start to get stagnant. So, in order, but I, but I, don't, I don't want to stop growing. Even at 46, I'm not done growing. I want to get better. I want to get better. I want, to get, I want people to keep pouring into me. But the problem is, there is no room. So, what I have to do is I have to give out. And as I give out in my life, it makes more room for somebody to pour into me you got to go to the bathroom. This is a really bad time right now. Now look, I just created more space that someone can pour into me because I poured into someone else. And someone can give to me and fill me up so I can, in return, give to somebody else. If I ever stop giving, I stop the growing process. The culture of Jerusalem was broken. It was a very non-generous culture. Listen, people who are growing, people who are getting better, are people who are willing to give back. Generosity makes our life bigger. Greed makes our life smaller. And Nehemiah's in a broken culture. He's very greedy. The leaders... Would take advantage of people. They imposed high taxes. They they sat around and, I don't know, apparently drank a lot of wine. And they sat around, they asked you to bring your food, and and they took advantage of people. They used their positions of leadership for not giving, for not leading, for taking advantage of people. Nehemiah said, listen, I'm going to set a new standard. I'm going to set a new example. I don't want anything from you. I just want something for you. And I believe God wants the same thing for you and I when it comes to living a life of generosity. That He doesn't want anything from you. He wants something for you. The power of generosity became a social solution for a greedy society. And then He prays this. Remember verse 19? He's talking about, I did this, I gave this, I gave this, I gave this. And at the end of all that, just kind of setting the example of what he gives, he prays this in verse 19. Remember, oh my God, all that I have done for these people, bless me for it. I like the ISV translation. He says, remember me with favor, my God, in everything I've done for these people. Like, he just stops, and he prays for favor. God, the things that I've given, would you bless those? The people that I've helped, would you bless those? God, would you remember me? Lord, I, I It's okay. To say, God, would you bless me? Jabez prayed that, Lord, would you bless me indeed, enlarge my territory. And that gets weird depending on what kind of church background you, oh, and he is. No, 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 no. Listen, when we live open-handed, it's okay to follow Nehemiah's example and say, God, would you put your favor on me? Would you bless me in everything that I've given? So, I want to walk through several different biblical principles I'm going to to stop teaching for just a minute and let the Bible talk to you. So I'm going to read a lot of Scripture. I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. Because here's what I want to do. There are so many biblical benefits to living open-handed. There are so many principles that when I am generous the way God's Word compels me to... And I I don't want you to think I'm pulling these out of thin air or whatever. I'm going to let the Word of God speak to you for just a minute. So I'm going to throw a lot of Scripture at you. The first one is... When I give, God will provide. That's that's not BKV. Let me show that to you in Scripture. Okay, 2 Corinthians 8.14 Right now, you have plenty, and you can help those who are in need. Later, someday, there may come a time that they will have plenty, and they can share with you when you need it. God wants to use His people to help His people. In this way, things will be equal. Proverbs 28, 27. Proverbs, a book of wisdom. Those who give to poor people will have all they need. Not all they want. It's different. It's not saying, hey, I gave a guy down there on the street corner a 20 and getting me a new yacht. That's not what this says, all right? Luke 26, 38. Give and you shall receive. I like the older translation, it says give and it will be given unto you. Your gift will return to you full, pressed down, shaken together, make room for more, running over, and poured over into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount that you give, get back. Psalm 41, 1, blessed is he who considers the poor, the Lord will deliver him in his time of need. Listen, when I give, God will provide. Secondly, when I give, God will use it. Blessed are those who are generous, because God uses that to feed the poor. Matthew twenty-five. I love this. This is Jesus talking, and he's kind of telling a story about a king, but he's really bringing it back around to the kingdom. Okay, and he says, "For I was." Hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did I ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty, when did I give you something to drink? I'm trying to remember, when was that? Like, when were you in prison, Jesus? And when did I come see you? Verse 40. And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you're doing it for me. When you give, God uses it. When I give, God will bless it. Old Testament scriptures, Malachi chapter 3. He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. And, And like, you may not know what that is. It's a... It's an Old Testament principle. You could actually use the word tenth. And so whenever they harvested their crop, the first tenth of that went to the temple to help take care of the temple and the spiritual leaders. And so we're a tithing church. We believe in the principle of tithe, not as law. Not as have to, but I get to. A policy is something you have to do. That's what the rules are. But a principle is, if I will step into this principle, it will have benefits for me. We believe the tithe is a spiritual principle. If you'll step into it, God will bless you. So listen, bring all the tithes. Bring that tenth. ...into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple... ...to take care of kingdom work. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies... ...I will open up the windows of heaven for you... ...and I will pour out a blessing so great... ...you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Then he says this. Put me to the test. Now at one point, way back when... ...God had said, listen, one of the big no-nos... ...don't test the Lord your God. Don't test me. You know, like you say that to your kids. "Mm, Don't you test mama's patience. Right? Right? But here he gives permission. Here he says, you know what? I so much believe in this principle of generosity. I so much know what happens in your life when you live open-handed. This is the one time I will give you permission. You can test me on this. Then all the nations will call you blessed. For your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. When I give, God will bless it. Deuteronomy 15.10, give generously to the poor. Not grudgingly. Not because I have to, but because I get to. For the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. When I give, God will bless it. Then when I give, I will be fulfilled. Now, God makes sure that's happened, but there's just something that happens in us. When I give, I will be fulfilled. 2 Corinthians 9, 11. Yes, you will be enriched. Not rich, but enriched in every way so that you'll always want to be generous. Like when you give, you're like, man, God is so good and God is so faithful. That is so fulfilling for me to be generous and help that you'll always be generous. And when you take your gifts to those in need, man, they stop and pause and they know where it came from. They thank God for you because God supplied their needs through you. When I give, I will be fulfilled. So this past summer I had the opportunity just just to take some time off. And Pastor Seth Swindoll, who's one of my tribe, I've got a group of pastors for just accountability, encouragement. We talk almost daily through some kind of app or whatever. And Seth and I, we were, we were up in the Nangua River in Missouri. We backed... A fifth wheel in there and we had our camp all set up and we were just big chilling you know we had just sitting there just beautiful and you could hear the river i could throw a rock and splash it down in the river and i mean i was living the big life right and right next to us the camping spot was open and then this uh, tahoe backs in one of those pop-up campers and out popped three little bitty, the cutest red-headed curly-haired little girls you can imagine don't judge me but i seriously thought well There goes my quiet camping experience, right? And they were the best behaved little girls. They never bothered us. We didn't even know they were there. That evening, Seth and I were just kind of sitting by the fire. And we were talking about the doctrines of grace for those of you that wonder what preachers do for fun we were debating calvinism versus armenianism to which some of you say i need a new hobby i would probably agree with you right like we were just we were just having this deep big theological question the next morning the guy comes over to is like hey are you guys pastors or something my first thought is holy cow what did i do wait what like what did he see me do uh-oh and then the wife kind of speaks up she's she's i'm so sorry I just overheard you guys talking about church and the bible and are you guys pastors where do you pastor as we developed this relationship with him found out she was a former missionary that she had been a missionary somewhere down in central america and he was a school teacher he taught third graders and over the summer they work at this kind of christian camp and he says man i just used my opportunity with these kids to invite them to go to summer camp and he's tell us over the years he's taken more than 120 130 kids to this camp and he says listen they may not be saved when they go, but there's a whole bunch of them that meet Jesus when they come back. They were about to actually go add two more. They had three little girls They were about to adopt two boys. And so just over the course of the time we were there, there were multiple great conversations. Next morning, Seth and I, we were gonna go on a little float trip. We'd rented kayaks. And so we were loading up my pickup and we were headed down, gonna go down to the spot where they kick you out in a kayak and you just float the river and um, I had asked the family, like, hey, you guys going to float the river today? And they're like, no, we're just going to let the girls play in the water. He actually had a kayak up on top of his tie. He goes, we might get the kayak out and, and paddle around a little bit. And, All right, well, y'all have a good day. And I started feeling just the Holy Spirit prompting me and asking me, you need to pay for it. And I, I kind of started to justify, you know, eh. They're on vacation. They probably planned on this. They can pay for it if they want to. His little girls are little. It might be dangerous. He, he may not want to, you know. I don't want to embarrass him. And so I just start to make excuses for why not to be generous, right? I get my pickup, start that bad boy up. So I pull out. It is, it is extremely heavy now. And I look at Seth and I go, man... I think I'm supposed to pay for them to go on a float trip. You think they'd go if I paid for it? He said, uh uh-uh. <laughs> He said, I'll pay for half of it. I said, no, man, it's something I need to do. And so I drove my truck around a big, had can- to go around this big loop, And I pulled back up. And they were sitting out under the canopy they'd put up. And he and his wife were drinking their coffee, reading their Bibles. And I walked up to him, I said, don't argue with me. I'm supposed to do this and I laid enough money down on the table right there for him to take his family on a float trip. I said, "Listen, I have had so much fun watching you and your family and those three beautiful little girls just play and enjoy being here. Will you take them on a float trip today?" And the wife just kind of she starts crying and I'm an emotional crier, so I start crying too. I'm also, an emo- I'm also a sympathy vomiter. So if I see you vomit, I'll do that too, right? You know what I'm saying? And she's, she's crying, and I'm starting to cry too. And she's like, no, 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 no. We can't take that. We can't take that. And I just leave the money on the table, and I just walk off, and I say, listen, pay it forward if you ever get the chance. And I get in the pickup, and that feeling of heavy turned into happy. Man, that felt good. So we go float the river. It took, I don't know, four or five hours or so. And as the bus was bringing us back to where you launch, and that's where our car, my pickup was parked, I see his family pulling out of that area in its in Tahoe. Two of the three little girls were sticking their heads out of the, the backseat window like dogs, you know. And they, they were waving at anybody that would wave back. Every bus that went by there, ah! you know what I'm saying? And we pulled up to the campsite. And all three little campgrounds, I don't know if they did this on purpose, but they walked out there and they stair-stepped by size. It was boom, boom, boom. And all three of them in their red, curly hair. And you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Man, the dad came over to me. He said, man, thank you. They claim it's the best day of their life. (laughs) In that moment, Jesus' words that are quoted in Acts 20, verse 36, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, came fully alive. You want to ask me what the highlight of my summertime off was? So it was three beautiful little girls. Thank you, thank you, thank you. There are so many tremendous blessings to giving. But let me be clear. God wants us to give to give, not give to get. Part of God's plan to change the world is God's people being willing to give. Let me say that again. Part of God's plan to change the world is God's people being willing to give. I give to give. I don't give to get anything back. And here's the beauty and generosity of how God works. When I give to give, he gives back joy and fulfillment and happiness and good tears. And thank you, thank you, thank you. Nehemiah led the way. And what you're going to see from here on out, Nehemiah chapter 5 is a turning point. It's a tipping point for this story. He had a broken culture that was greedy. And he said, listen, I want to set the example to show you what happens when you open your hands and you open your heart and you live a generous lifestyle. I know this is church. I know it gets weird. I don't want this to be heavy. I want this to be happy. God doesn't Want anything from you. Truth be told, God doesn't need anything from you. He wants something for you. And I don't want you to miss what God wants to do in your life. I don't want you to miss those same moments like I did when I laid that money down on the table. And I was a blessing. Don't miss the benefits of generosity. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the give now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.